So I know how much, you know, um, how much mental power you also need in order to, you know, beside it, the fact that everything is not going well, you have to believe, okay, I'm going to make it. I don't know when, but it's going, it's going to work. So I know how that feels. Very, it's, I remember it so vividly. So I'm, that way I'm good to, rem, to tell that to students. Say, look, I know, I know it's depressing. I know you feel that um, this is too much, but I'm, 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 I, I, if I did it, you can do it too. That's my point of view. That's a, today I'm talking to Ettore Corsa, a violist and music professor. Ettore, it's so lovely to meet you here on Zoom. And uh, thank you so much for your time and to, to talk to me. Uh, tell me, where are you based at the moment? So right now I'm in New Haven, which yeah. is where I, I live most of the year because I'm teaching at the Yale University, the Yale School of Music. Uh, so I have a house here in New Haven, which is, I would say, probably about two hours north from New York. I will see. Okay. So, and and you teach from there, but you do master classes all over yeah, the world. I do. I mean, you know, I do. My main residence is here, but of course, I, I spend a lot of time in Europe, you know, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I travel um, extensively during the whole year, particularly during the summer um, time from beginning of May to the end of August. I'm, I'm never home. I'm basically always on the road. Yeah. Really? Well, I saw on your website um, there was a there's a clip where you where you teach where it shows how you teach and and so on. It's it's fascinating to watch that. And is this something teaching? Is it something you love? It's uh, something oh, that yeah. you really you do. Mm. I do very very much. I it's I think it's something which, first of all, you know, first of all, I must um, um, confess that, you know, when I was. When I was young, <laughs> when I was in my 20s, and I left Italy, went to study in Switzerland, um, even though I think I was very talented and so, I was not that good. I didn't have good basis. Uh, uh, so what I've learned from my teachers there, it was something um, which I will be always grateful for the rest of my life. You know, it was so important for me. It really it changed my life. Um, and I almost feel that I have to uh, pass that to my students. I think it's, it's also, I don't want to call it mission, might sound too, too uh, pretentious, but I, I think it, I, I feel it's my duty because I, I really received so much um, in a very critical moment of my, of my life, you know, and I, I, I think I got those, um, all, now all the tools to, you know, give it to my, to the new generation. So I, it's very, very important part of my career. I also must admit that I find it very inspiring. You know, I'm so privileged that uh, here at Yale, the level of the students is extremely high. So of course, as a musician, as a teacher, you get inspired to get good students. You know, uh, I, I, and you, you feel also the pressure of, you know, mm -hmm. uh, with good students to show that you can, you are up to the task, which I think is very, very important. It's so um, interesting that you also say this, that you get inspired because uh, many musicians that I talk to that teach say this thing that, that you get in, also inspired by your students. You, you get inspired. First of all, there is something which um, even with students, um, give me a second. I want to put the notification off so we are not disturbed by, okay. by giving a second. Yeah. Uh, it's good. Um, so, yes. So first of all, I must say there is always something very important when you 
observe a problem from from outside, right? Because you hear someone playing. Uh, and maybe it's a problem which you're also dealing with. So it puts you in a completely different perspective, how to approach that difficulty, how to approach the passage, how to solve that problem. Um, so it's it's very actually useful too. And then there is the other part that, you know, especially when you deal with very, very talented, you, you know, you actually, you, you hear them playing and, and maybe they do something which you find incredibly beautiful and you say, oh, but that's, wow, that's so inspiring. Oh, oh, that's something I would like to do. I would like to do that too, you know. So there is, yeah, there are multiple reasons why I found teaching being incredibly, um, not useful is a very poor word, but like you say, inspiring and something which can make you better, a better musician and better artist. Yeah. And you said now that you felt that the teachers uh, helped you and that um, that was so important for you. And and this is also something that I thought about a lot is, is the, the importance of the teachers. Um, uh, do you think that there should be more um, sort of focus on that as well? You know, the, the importance of that that part of, of musicianship. Yeah, you see, I, I, I remember seeing that with my teachers and I've seen many, I, of course, I've, I've observed many other people teaching and First of all, you need to, to have someone, when there is a teacher, there must be someone which you respect, someone that has, um, has something to say, right? But also someone which really wants to dedicate himself to make you a better musician and better player. Um, and sometimes you find only one of those qualities. Sometimes you find someone which is really dedicated, but maybe doesn't have as let's call them information or, or or tools to help you, right? Or you have someone which has incredible amount of um, knowledge to, to give, but maybe it's just they are too busy or maybe they are not, they don't have enough power to do it or maybe they are, you know, there are too many, I just say he does too many things. Um, so it's, it's difficult to find a, a, a situation where you you have a teacher which really knows a lot and at the same time really also push you and dedicates his full attention to you. And somehow I I was so lucky when I was young to deal with those kind of teachers in my 20s, which really, for them, if I would fail, was their failure. You know what I mean? It was there that yeah. they, they suffered more than me. And that's why, you know, particularly one of them, he would get really, really mad at me. <laughs> because you know, because he felt that he, I think it's you know, and, and at the same time, every time he saw that I was doing something well or I succeeded in something, he was so immensely proud of it because it, it was so important for him. And I must say, now with the age, also I start to I have some of the same, uh, you know, reaction myself. You know, I, I feel so proud when my students do, and when they don't do so well, I feel so responsible and also get you know, kind of impatient because of that. But how much in this teaching process uh, do you have to say just be in this role where you motivate? Because I mean, for you as musicians, it's a long path and it's a difficult path, and there must be times where your students, you know, just feel it's not working or uh, how will I get there? Do you take on that role as well? Of course, and I must say, I, I, this is something I feel um, lucky in, in this way that 
you know, so, so I, to just go back to my own uh, story. So when I went, I went, to, I was 20 and I, I was accepted in this, uh, the Menon Academy, which was based in Switzerland. And then when I was really lucky because there, were, there, was, there was one spot available, they had lost a violist and somehow no one else came to audition for this school. It was a very small, high level string school. And the teacher there gave me the apostle say, well, you are talented, you don't play very well. Actually, you play, he told me very clearly, you play really badly, but let's try, you know? Um, but because of that, some, so I, I started from a low level. I struggled so many times. Up the you know up the up the stairs you know at least for the first three years it was really even though you know you would you would get better but then there would be a crisis again because then it would be another thing you 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 should do better which I was not capable to do so I feel that I know so well the struggle because I did struggle myself you know some of my colleagues you know they played wonderfully when they were twelve years old uh, twelve years old you know because probably they had good schools and so that was not my case so I know how much you know. Um, a much mental power you also need in order to, you know, beside it, the fact that everything is not going well, you have to believe, okay, I'm going to make it. I don't know when, but it's going, it's going to work. So I know how that feels. Very, it's, I remember it so vividly. So I, I'm, that way I'm good to, rem, to tell that to students. Say, look, I know, I know it's depressing. I know you feel that um, this is too much, but I'm, 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 I, I, if I did it, you can do it too. That's my point of view. That's amazing. But now, in in that sense, can you spot in a student somebody, as you said, you didn't, uh, or the teacher said to you, you didn't didn't play very well. But there must have been something in you that he would that he had sure. sort of faith in you. Do you have that? Can you see that in a student yes. as well? Yeah, you can. You you see that you know people call it the raw talent. So you see something that the student has something special. Because in between, it really shows some special quality, like maybe their sound or just the incredible musicality, like they maybe really say something with the playing. So I, I can detect that. Then, then the point is, is this student really ready to go through a lot of fighting and a lot of effort? And that's not, at, at this point, is you know, I, I can dedicate myself. I can really, you know, tell them the way and, you know, follow, follow them step by step. But I can't decide if they want to, you know, practice every day and fight every day. That's it's up to the individual. But certainly, I can spot when I feel that someone has an incredible talent or a really good talent. This I can see it. But in this system that that musicians go into, I mean, they have to audition and they have to go into to music universities and music schools. Do you think they're can be possibilities that people who are really talented slip through the net because they are not on that standard when they are going, you know, compared to the people that they audition with. So just that I understand the question um, correctly. Mm -hmm. So you are saying if the people that are not that talented mm -hmm. are going to make it anyway, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm thinking, no, I'm thinking so on that level because the the it seems to be that the music universities take the musicians on a very high level they have to already be on that very high level that it's difficult for somebody who's not on that level to go to get that opportunity and that it could be that this person could have been a very good musician and that they Absolutely. just mm. 
absolutely. I mean, I, I sometimes I call it fate or the destiny, you know, like, and I had in my own class and it's, I find it, it's very cool because every year I have, you know, so many applicants, you know, Yale School of Music is one of the uh, very few free tuition school in the country. And that's why the level is also that high because there are so many universities where you have to pay part of the tuition or the entire tuition. So because it's free tuition, it's the number of violists, for instance, for my for the viola class is only 12. So in the entire school, I cannot, there are only 12 violists, which of course makes, makes, makes it very competitive and very selective. But in between, you know, there are always, uh, there is always a scenario where somehow um, one student didn't accept an invitation from another conservatory, another university, and then other student actually got the job. So he's not going to, to study any longer. And then there is, and then an opportunity for some of those people, you know, opens up, you know, and yeah. that, which was my own experience. If you think about, I would never got in the Menon Academy in a normal audition setting because I wasn't good enough. Yeah. I, I, I always say in life, you have to fight, 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 but you also need to be lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And have the faith. <laughs> yeah. that the right person yeah will believe in you yeah. but how did you start with viola because i you know viola for me is a very interesting instrument because um i love the sound by the way of the viola but it's not a very common instrument that you that you um hear a lot of people play yes because it's not, it's not an instrument i would say you have the spotlight on it, like like yeah. a pianist or a, a violinist, a viola, a violin, and, and even a cello. I call it a, it's a very musical instrument, you know. <laughs> Somehow, um, it helps. For instance, if when we talk about string quartets or chamber music, you know, um, it's a it's the instrument that glues. Uh, no, it tends to um, you know uh, to be like a sort of glue between the high voices and the low voices. Oh, okay. um, that's the way I would describe it. And then in between, when there is some really a, let's call it a, a, what people will say, oh, that's a viola solo, then it can be really special because comp composer did use the, the viola in a very, um, I would call it not in a very virtuosic way most of the time, like it would be for violin, but in a very, you know, a lyrical, which makes it, because the viola has, I think probably the, the greatest quality the viola as an instrument has is the, is the cantabile, you know, voice, mm -hmm. which has got, which is, I think it's tremendous. Um, so there are so many cases in the in the, in the chamber music literature when finally the viola has a tune, and you know everyone would just look at it because it's just so special. You know? mm -hmm. And are you, are you, how, how did it come to play? Well, um, so I started as a violinist when I did my studies in Naples, in Italy, and then at the age of eleven or twelve, um, my teacher, which was he played both violin and viola. Um, he noticed that, you know, I had really strong fingers and long um, and like, you know, big enough to, somehow to, uh, because, it's, you know, the viola is a bigger instrument, so it, it needs mostly someone which is actually physically a little bit stronger or a little bit bigger, especially if you want to play a bigger viola. And he thought, oh, it was very, it's a good idea. Why don't you try? So he just gave me the viola in my hands. And as soon as I put my 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 ball and I started to play on the lower register, I thought it was something so special. And immediately I said, I want to switch. Really? So I waited two years to do some exam on the violin. And then at the age of 14, I think, or 15, I switched to viola. Yeah. 
because I, th I thought the voice was so was I thought it was very melancholic. There was some, someone really kind of little sad, which I thought it was. Yeah, unique. that's right. That's 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 the sound. I, I love I love that sound. But I spoke to a, 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 um, a violist once who said that she started also playing the violin and that she she was never motivated to practice and she she just didn't didn't enjoy it until the teacher gave her the viola and then immediately it it kicked in and immediately she, she fell in love with the with the instrument so how That's amazing that this is the sound that that you know attracts people to the instrument yeah. mm. it's, a, it's a bit like being so some sometimes i believe you are born somehow a violist or just like you're born a cellist. So a little bit like for singing, as a singer, I mean, you can't really decide if you are a baritone on ten or not. I mean, not really. You are just born for it and you you discover it. So. But did uh, did you come from a musical family? Oh yeah. So, so my mom was a pianist. She's a pianist. She's she was teaching at the conservatory in Napoli. Uh, but I mean my grandmother was also a pianist and my grand grandfather was a composer, and actually my grand-grand-grandfather, he was a very important personality in the music life in Italy uh, because he was the founder, what people consider to be one of the founder of the Napolitan, uh, of the Italian, actually, um, piano school, to the oh. point that he was asked by Anton Rubistan. Anton Rubistan was the director of the, I believe it was St. Peter's Conservatory at the beginning of the century, 1900. So he was asked to go to St. Petersburg and, and teach there. So it was wow. a very important. Unfortunately, I can't play one note of piano, but oh. <laughs> well, you must, <laughs> you must have his teaching schools. <laughs> yeah, some maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but in for the viola, are there are there composers that compose specifically for viola or is it is it like you say, this oh. is just the instrument that has to be played in an orchestra. Okay, so let's put it about there. There are composers which have, uh, they have written specifically for viola, right? Of course, most of the repertoire, most of the so-called solistic uh, repertoire. I'm speaking about when you, you know, when you basically appear as a solist in front of an orchestra, they are mostly from the um, from the 20th century. There are not oh, okay. that many, except, you know, if you think about, for instance, Mozart, one of the most, I mean, recognized masterpieces he wrote is the so-called Sinfonia Concertante, which is a concerto for violin, viola, and orchestra, for instance. Oh, okay. So that's, for instance, is one of the examples of great composers from the past, which he wrote um, for viola solistically. Um, and I could also mention, for instance, um, Hector Berlioz, the French composer, he wrote a, a big symphony piece, which has a, as a viola future as a soloist. You know, Harold in Italy is called. It's an amazing piece where the viola, even though it's not used as a virtuosic um, instrument, uh, it play, it's, it's, it's featured as a solistic instrument mm -hmm. and it's, it's a masterpiece. So there are um, examples and, you know, sonatas for violin piano from you know from Schumann to Brahms and so on but of course is if we compare the solo literature um to violin and, and cello of course there is no comparison mm -hmm. um, and I think probably also because um I believe that viola was a very dif difficult instrument to play because it's just bigger 
It's it's oh, easy I see. Mm-hmm. I think that must be one of the reasons. But in the other hand, we have fantastic repertoire in the charming music, um, you know, formation, particularly in quartets from you know Mozart, Beethoven, Brahms, Schumann, Mendelssohn, which featured the viola brilliantly, and you know, it's a joy to play that music actually as a violist. But can you, as a violist, and 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 if you t- take the violin, is there a difference in playing? Can you now switch over and and play the violin? Yes, I can. But how good will sound? I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, okay. So there is a. No, so no, look, cannot... first of all, let, I, I want to make a distinction. So there are actually uh, violinists out there, some violinists out there that can actually play the viola incredibly well. And one of them, for instance, is Pinker Zuckerman, which is which is a violinist, one of the you know one of the greatest violinists of the last forty years, but and he can play the, the viola incredibly well. Like like actually, some people are saying that he plays the violin with the sound of the viola because it's so really? full and rich. Yes. Yeah. So there are people like that, and there are people that violinists that play the viola. Well, maybe you can feel that they are not really violists because they they don't really go deep into the sound characteristic. Like it. also because obviously when you are a violinist and you want to play both, you tend to play a viola because you might know that while a violin and a cello they have a sort of standard size, it doesn't change as much. When you play the viola, you can really go very um, very big. You can go up to 44, 45 centimeters. All down to 39. Really? So when you have 39 or 40, it's very comfortable to play. But also the, the kind of sound is more violin-like. Mm. While the opposite, the bigger it gets, like 43, 44, then the more get the darker the sound gets, and the more people say it's like a cello sound. Which of course is in my opinion, is what a viola should sound. You know, mm. it should be dark. That's that's what people say about the best viola sounds is the one which bigger viola produce. And I really believe in that. And of course, the bigger viola is hard to go from a big viola to a little violin. So it's you had to well, yeah. it's mostly, it's mostly, of course, the 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 you know the length of the string is different, so it's bigger. And if you switch back and forward, you might have difficulty with the intonation, you know. But some people they do wonderfully on both, they can adjust very fast. I think maybe the biggest problem has to do more with the sound, the way you use the bow, which even though there are so many similarities, really similar, but still the proportion are different. You know, I don't know, like the the speed of the bow is very different than you would have on the violin, especially when you play a big viola. Or the vibrato also, you have to use it in, the principle is absolutely the same, but maybe a vibrato on the violin, which sounds perfect, on the viola might sound a little bit too small, so you don't hear it well enough. Okay. So there are there are tiny different. I would say if you are really a good violinist and a sensitive violinist, which are good sense of sound, you can pick up a viola and still, if you, especially if you have if you if you spend some time, you can do it um, mm-hmm. well. Then, if you want to be the best violas, violist out there as a violinist, that's diff- more difficult, of course. Okay, yeah. So you need you need um, what I can understand from you. You also need a little bit more uh, power or 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 yeah, uh, most strength, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, strength. Even yeah. Some, you know, sometimes I have students which are let's call them 
smaller than I am, and they want to play a bigger viola, and it's a really an effort because they have to stretch yeah. the arm. Oh yeah, yeah. So in in those cases, sometimes I tell them, look, you can't play such a big 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 viola because you might risk to injured. I mean, I know many people that actually got injured as a violist than as a violinist. You know what I'm saying? Oh because, really? Yeah. Mm. It just especially, and that's why people believe, and I do believe to um, with, of course, exceptions that if you are taller or you know you have longer arms, then it's easier to play a bigger viola. Now I've seen people they are tiny and still manage to play bigger violas. You know, and don't don't take me wrong, but mm-hmm. the tendency is this one, obviously. So what would what is the injuries and because this is also something fascinating if you think you 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 can you compare injuries to say somebody who plays football and or somebody who who has this type of but and and I hear very often from musicians and even pianists who, who talk about back problems and so on. So what is the health problem or the the physical problem? I mean, one of I would say I can speak for um, at least violinist and. And violists, because I know many mm. of those. So one of the kind of most common problems is when people get um, tendinitis, you know, they, because they oh. work and work and work and work. And um, also maybe they work using too much tension. That's, mm. you know, because somehow if if you think about as a, as a string player, as a musician in general, as you abuse your body because you practice from the day. And I would say, particularly as a violinist and, and violist, we play in a very uncomfortable position because we have to, to put our arm this way, which is just, just for me to put it like that, it feels tense. You know, mm-hmm. a pianist at least plays with the gravity, right? You, you, they go down. We yeah. go against the gravity. We have to do this and this. So we oh, have yeah. to, and that, of course, um, makes, up, makes us more vulnerable towards um, injury, you know, and many times, I mean, they, one of the characteristics of injury is to be, I mean, no, one of the reasons is to be, as I said, to practice too much with tension, because tension, and and it's a big part of being injured. Because mm-hmm. so, and it's difficult to play without ten, the tension, and, and that's why it's so important to have a good teacher as a um, young young players that teach you to play in a more relaxed way. Because if if you start from this from the very beginning with a healthy, you know, setup, then it's easier to go on with your career and play a lot, practicing a lot without getting injured. And the neck, is it also because you have Yes, to, yeah, of course there are people also neck well. and back. Yeah, that's of course. Yeah. But I would say what happens, you know, I think with the back and with the neck, you can still, um, you know, do stretching exercise like you can still not i don't say easily because it's never easy but there are many more ways to get around that with with the tendinitis there are people that had to stop playing for four weeks uh, for, for, for four months sometimes yeah so it's it becomes way more severe mm-hmm. somehow with the hand with the finger with the uh, wrist and so on um, and it were, uh, tell me, your if you played, do you have specific shoes that you wear? Uh, no, <laughs> not really. You don't. When I practice, actually, because I when I'm staying, you know, I, when I went to Switzerland when I was twenty, yeah. I um, I got this habit to um, be in the house without shoes because oh, okay. you know, 
But yeah. so I, I when I'm home, I always practice or in a hotel room, I always practice without shoes. Oh, which, okay. I, which I discovered being a really nice feeling because you really feel the ground so well, which yeah. I think is very important for musicians, especially when you stand up, feeling the ground. When I go and perform or I go, you know, to the air, so I, I no, the shoes is not a big part of it. Even though, of course, you, you want to wear comfortable shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Could that could that bring a um a, a new trend in that violinist and violists play barefoot? <laughs> there is, there are, there is a trend already. Really? There is, there is a very um I'm I'm afraid to uh, mispronounce her name, Patricia Kopenskaya. So, uh, she's uh, she's Swiss Austrian, I believe. Mm-hmm. She's often in, in Switzerland, we, we often are playing the same festivals. Um, and she plays completely barefoot since many really? years. Really? Oh, okay. That's so interesting. Becoming yeah. a trend. Too. I mean, yeah. there is definitely something about, you know, there is one of the, one very, 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 very famous um, violinist and pedagogue called Shandorvek. He was Hungarian. He's been a, a major influence on, on not just on violin, but on music making, yeah? And he, he, he always, uh, this I I, heard, I played with many people that did study with him, and he always mentioned the fact that you should never wear high heels if you're a musician, really? because if, if you wear high heels, you don't have contact with ground, and the music needs to be grounded, and you have to be grounded. So it was a very interesting concept, and I do really very much believe that, you know, with shoes or without shoes, you always need to feel contact with the ground. That's so interesting, and and you know that, and also that idea of that music that you have to be grounded. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, I found also the concept of being grounded helps so much, especially when you when you go on stage. Um, there is a very beautiful um, picture I, I was told someone said about how to deal to the anxiety when you go on stage and maybe you play with a big orchestra. This thousands of people listening to you so what sort of approach you should have and, and the approach was you go on stage you really feel you fit be so grounded but you also feel that you're like a tree and somehow you start to have roots under your feet mm-hmm. and and and, and the, even though there will be a, a lot of wind so you will feel you know maybe pushed right and left you can feel that attachment into the ground so you know you're never going to break Amazing. Very, very beautiful picture. Yeah. Sometimes I use myself, yeah. So um, do you still get nervous um, when you do performances? More than ever. Really? I do. do. (laughs) It's not getting any easier. That's I can tell you. Uh, I would say maybe it gets slightly uh, worse now. Yeah. So what would be the the reason? Do you feel more pressure? I think it's because especially the higher you get. Yeah. And the higher you feel people expectation that people have oh, okay. or expectation that you have towards the music, because you mm-hmm. feel, of course, you feel nervous because of the people that are in the hall, but you also feel nervous that you want to show to yourself or to the to to the composer, to the music that you are up to the task. So there is this pressure that you always, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately feel. And of course, that's what that's the only thing you should not think when you go on stage. I mean, when you go on stage, you should just focus on on music, on on saying something, on, on enjoying every note of the, of the music you're playing. 
Um, yeah. but they, well, before going on stage, of course, you feel that pressure of saying, mm. How, what about if I'm not going to play as well today? Well, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's tough. It's really tough, mm. you know, especially if you care. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. But now, um, what would your advice be to um, young uh, violinist? There are many. First one, first of all, they have to practice a lot, and um, and I think they have to they have to be open to try many different things. You know, too many times I hear people saying, "Oh, I want to be an orchestra player," or "Oh, I want to be a teacher," or "I want to play instrument music," which are all wonderful things. But I think, especially our days, you need to be ready to do anything. You need to be good at many things. You have to be a wonderful, uh, capable to play solo in a, you know, with, with orchestra really beautifully, or to be a, an excellent teacher, to be an excellent ensemble player in an orchestra, in a charming music um, constellation and so on. So I, I think you, you need to, you know, um, somehow cultivate different sort of scenario. But first of all, because you are going to be a better musician if you do that, if you you are capable, because then you will learn from so many, you know, um, lines and so from so many places. But then it will give you more opportunity in a career, which, as you know, as we know, it's tougher and tougher. So yeah. it's good to have more option in your hands. Mm. So a more open approach to yes, much yeah. more open approach. Mm. But now, what are your wishes still for the future? Playing, playing, and playing. I really? <laughs> no, I, 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 I liked, I like playing. I like, you know, there are so many pieces which I still didn't play. Some, so many wonderful masterpieces which I want to do again. Also, people I want to play with, and you know, concert hall I want to play in, or going back there. Um, so I still have a lot of things, even though when I look back. I realized, oh my God, I've been playing in so many places with so many people, which is really mm -hmm. nice. Yeah. But I, I, you... I, hope I, I hope I can do it and hope I can do it well for more years. And, and I also hope that the day I cannot do it so well, I will realize and I will stop it because I don't want to become like one of those musicians which they just keep on playing even though they really don't sound at all as they used to. Mm -hmm. And there are many, unfortunately. Really? It's, I think it's also... You know, we are we have a very tough life, especially when you travel a lot and you play a lot. And but it's a very and and we do complain about this life. You know, you go to a hotel, you practice, even though maybe you are in Vienna, you don't have a chance. You know, I was in Vienna last time, I don't know, just before the pandemic, because I was playing in in um how is it called the beautiful hall in Vienna? Um Musikverein. Yeah, Vince Verein with the Hartis Quartet. I don't know if you ever heard of the Hartis Quartet. We were playing uh, the Buchner Quintet there. And somehow, you know, Vienna is an incredible city. I mean, there's music. In every corner you go, there is something to do with the music. But I wish I would have so much more time, right? Because, yeah. but then unfortunately, you have to rehearse, you have to practice your own part and so on. So we complain about the lifestyle we have because we feel that we travel a lot, we get tired, we don't see enough because we are always in the room or in the concert hall rehearsing, playing. But at the, at the end, I think what we do is also very addicting. We, we and, and to go from doing so much to nothing, it's really hard. Mm. It's so, so and, 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 and somehow I have great um, amount of admiration for people that at one point, even though they were incredibly 
you know, busy and popular in, in demand. On one, on one point, they said, I'm not anymore as good as I used to be. I don't want to go on in this stop. It's, and I, it's, I know it will be difficult for me too, because I love playing and I love traveling. And I'm also addicted to that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a different, I hope it will be, it will be as late as possible, but you never know. But it's, um, I think it's also that thing, you know what you're doing and it's difficult to imagine not doing it. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's just very difficult. I know. It's also what, it's what we have been known, you know, since we're children, basically. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, that's what I found in uh, during the pandemic as well, that many musicians and also, um, two of my children are ballet dancers, you know, they have, they know what they that that's the life they know and then suddenly when you when you think okay now i'm not doing this now then you sort of uh, it's suddenly what do i do then you know um so i can i can completely imagine that it must be difficult especially after a long career to step yeah. out and say okay but who am i now when i'm not with my instrument and but that's why you know i, I tell you on my on my for my my personal experience has been so great for me while playing concert developing this passion I have for photography and doing a lot of photography and you know doing my traveling or making portrait for musician because they needed for the website that was something because I feel so passionate about and that was something which you know puts also my attention my 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 time into something a little different actually yeah. i mean there are so many things which photography and music they have in common but something a completely different craft right technically mm-hmm. um and i think it's i think it's that's another advice i would give to uh, young people don't just be only music focused which even though i know it's incredibly important you need to because you miss so much of life is so broad right and even though music is so incredible and so rich there's so much more that you should explore mm. and I think it's one should always be open yeah and I think also the one thing that you do also um brings some something to the other thing you know so if you like you say yes, now the, absolutely. the photography and the music and you can you can almost see Learn from each other. Oh, of course I, I, that's my experience yeah. I think I became I mean it's crazy to say that but I think I became better musician after photography started to be something very important i mm-hmm. i know this about that mm-hmm. and That's i think it's first, of all, it's first of all because you get inspired looking at yeah. something artistic or something creative which is different mm-hmm. but also because i believe the fact that your mind focus on something else mm-hmm. it refresh the way you look at things exactly if, yeah. in your mind you only have you your music and your passages and you struggle mm-hmm. then you you risk to get stuck well, if at one point you also put focus on something else, then when you go back, then you feel much freer. Yeah, I think photography does that. It uh, it it makes you um, because you're used to looking through a lens, so you see a specific thing. So it makes you focus on specific things. So exactly. you notice things. You notice things more. I think that's the thing with photography. Absolutely. But um, this was now so lovely to talk to you and and so I inspiring. Yeah, and, and and all the what you talked about the teaching as well. I think it's so fascinating. And I, I also during the lockdown, the musicians that I spoke to, you know, they talked so highly about their teachers, and I just realized that a teacher is such an important part in a musician's life. It is. I yeah. Think it is. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm still every day thinking at one point of what my teacher told me. Really? No? Yeah, you see. Yeah. And I do remember so vividly. Mm. The good things they told me, also the things that they were upset about it, it's so vividly in my, in, in my, in my soul. So, mm. so yeah. they really left a mark, a very, you know, very mm. strong mark, which won't, won't never disappear. And I'm grateful yeah. for that. Well, you, I'm, I'm sure you're leaving marks as well, um, in, in musicians' lives. So, but um, Etor, um, I just want to ask you one more question. Uh, what do you drink after a concert? Wine or beer? <laughs> it would be way more elegant to say that I drink wine, <laughs> but unfortunately, I drink a beer because, believe it or not, and now I feel really ashamed by this. Even though I come from a country with the best wine in the world, yeah. and already during my year as a student at the Menin Academy, I was exposed to the best wine. You know, we would play with, with the Yehudi Menin, so we would be in those very fancy dinners and receptions with the finest wine. <laughs> For some reason, don't ask me why I never like wine. It's really sad. Oh, really? <laughs> it's really sad. I don't know why. I do enjoy beer. And I, I'm really like, if I can, I really like to have a more like a co cocktail-like style. Um, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Like it could be Aperol Spritz, it could be Negroni. That's that's oh, the best okay. the best way to end a, a, an evening after a concert. Oh, okay. Well, but, it's I'm not not, but I'm not an alcoholic. I can take you down. Normally, <laughs> <laughs> I don't drink. But after a concert, it's always really yeah. nice. No, but but you you're in good company because most musicians drink beer after a concert. I found that fascinating because I would uh, also think it would be wine, but now it seems to be beer. <laughs> so, but I have thank you so much for your time, and I have a lovely um, afternoon. Thank you, you too. Thanks so much for okay. Thank you. Thanks thank again. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.